Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Part of the Boundless Audio Podcast Network. sadly over the leaves are falling and at least for us the snow is a coming actually it came and went and is coming again but you know that's a thing you know we can't fault mother nature for multiple orgasms no (laughs) good for her (laughs) she completely lost my train of thought thank you so sorry oh that's what I'm gonna think of as snow like the winter is coming and coming and coming yes now that's all I'm going to think of. Tune too. in to ASMR Mommy, <laughs> where I play Mother Nature having the world's biggest O, and it's called the the October Winter. Halloween snowstorm of 1991. Yeah. Oh my God. There's also one in March of that year that lasted a really long time. Really? I didn't, I didn't know about that. I did because I was born in March. Oh, okay. Yeah. It all happened I- like right after my birthday. I think. Did you make Mother Nature come? Yes, she was like. Did you Look make at Winter come? Beautiful baby. Oh my god! And when and Winter just like jazzed its pants. Yep. Yep. Yeah. If if you live in Minnesota though, uh, you can't go five minutes without hearing about the winter, the blizzard, the Halloween blizzard of nineteen ninety one. I feel like it's gotten better. I feel now like that it's, like we're the adults because we were born in and around 91 mm-hmm. and I feel like we don't talk about it as much. I feel it's actually the, become a meme. Yeah. We're like, we have to talk about it. Someone has to bring it up at least once in October. Someone must carry on the legacy. Which, actually, it snowed this last Halloween. It did. But it wasn't as much. I was like, oh my God, are we finally going to get a snowstorm to get everyone to shut the fuck up about the one in 91? But it's super <laughs> funny because I hadn't like no one had said anything about it until now you were my person this I'm year. carrying on the legacy have you ever heard of uh was it Whamageddon where it's um there's that Christmas song by Wham oh yeah where it's like how long can you get through the season without hearing it like at the mall or the store yeah. or whatever no it's the Halloween blizzard of 91 Mageddon Mageddon <laughs> and I and I ruined your streak yeah, you suck the clock starts again no. now <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I was going to talk about like cozying up with some wine and getting all warm and cozy, but you know, we just ruined that. So welcome to Whining About Herstory, the women's history podcast, where two longtime gal pals complain about the weather and talk about women from history you probably haven't heard of while drinking a lot of wine. I'm Kelly. I'm Emily. And apparently I'm obsessed with the sexual reelings of nature and the seasons. Yes, apparently. Always. I, I, I will makes say. It makes, makes winter feel a little bit better when you're like, you know what? Mother nature's getting hers. You know what? Good for her. Exactly. Good for her. It's like when you watch a really good episode of Snapped. Good for her. <laughs> Where it's like, okay, yeah. I'm not seeing the crime here. Yeah, I'm exactly. not seeing the issue. You're like, and? He had it coming. Exactly. Dun, dun. <laughs> you know how many times I watch like a true crime show when like a woman's the murderer and I'm like, and? Yeah, I'm like. <laughs> and then, yeah, that song plays in my head. I'm like, I'm very sorry, but this is the natural consequence of prolonged emotional and or physical abuse. Um, She's just clapping back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the OG clap back. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> All right, Emily, what are we drinking tonight? Okay, so today we are... 
beer drinking a wine that has been sitting at the bottom of the wine shelf for entirely too long and it is covered with dust which honestly like half of our wine i think it, it makes it look more dignified we're just aging it yeah we're, that's what you do you age wine well this is a 2017 yeah, see, we're aging um it. i don't know when i bought it but the earliest could have been 2019 so we'll see um but this is an Afeya red, A P H A E A. Like I feel like I need to say it like Moira Rose, like Afeya. <laughs> Herb Gerbilus fruit vine. Anyway, um, this is from Cellar Masters Reserve. I believe this is one of those like naked wine box. That's what I was thinking. Picks. I was like, this is gonna be one of your wine angels. Yep. Um, here's the issue. The description on the label is written sideways, and I have already uncorked this cork bottle. So I'm going to have to, yeah, well, my neck hurts. I was modeling the other night, and I, like, did a pose where I, like, turned my neck for 20 minutes. And this morning, I woke up. I was like, oh, God, what the, oh, yeah, I did that to myself. That (laughs) was me. This was my fault. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. All right. So, handcrafted and certified sustainable. Ooh, love. Ooh. Mother Nature is going to love to hear that. Afea David is a red blend of the finest grapes offering a smooth, rich taste profile that features ripe, dense blackberry with notes of chocolate, rich Ooh. raspberry, and bursts of wild strawberry creamy molten blueberry lingers on the nose harmoniously balancing the long lasting finish with whispers of cedar spices and wild fruit this lush pa- sorry it keeps going oh. i have to like turn the bottle this lush palate experience it's not a wine it's an experience Just takes like this its podcast. name from a fair a lone majestic tree rooted in the heart of South Africa's western... It's South Africa. I, I'm definitely not pronouncing this correctly. Western Cape, overlooking a luscious green valley and nestled on the foot of a magnificent mountain range. The stately of Hea symbolizes the history and the grandeur that is deeply embedded in this area. That explains the tree on the front. It does explain also, the tree on the front. It does look like a fall tree, so it's still seasonally appropriate. It is, it is seasonally appropriate. You're absolutely right. Um, also, like, is there a berry that they did not name drop? I just... Matt Berry, yeah. Chuck Berry. They were like, all in there. I just, it lost me at molten blueberry. I was like, what? I... So... It's like a hot pocket. You put it in the microwave and it's either still frozen on the inside or molten lava, molten blueberries. It's it's funny because like that was all one sentence. That yeah, first talk about part run on sentence. Um, so many commas. And then there and then it's not even that like it, it's a paragraph break. One sentence paragraph break. Next. Let me see. Oh, this is actually two sentences and somehow shorter than the first single sentence. You gotta love those adjectives. Adjectives and adverbs. Should we taste it? Yes. Also, I want to thank Kelly for the cup that I am drinking from. She got it for me from the Mob Museum in Las Vegas. And when we went to Texas together, I got a little makeup bag that said whiskey in a teacup. I'm like, this is what I want to be. Like when people think of me, I want them to think, oh yeah, she's whiskey in a teacup. 
I want a Southern person with like a beautiful drawl to be like, mm, that gal over there is just whiskey in a teacup. I, I can't do a Southern drawl. Um, but Kelly Ke- got me Kena. a teacup. Call Emily and Kena. tell her that. Kina, Kina, break out your best Arkansasian accent and just like, can that be my ringtone? Like mm, that Emily, she's whiskey in a teacup. Yeah. Like, like Blanche Devereaux. Yeah. Golden girls. I want her to call me whiskey in a teacup from the grave. Get on it, Blanche. <laughs> um, but yeah, so she got me a teacup that says whiskey in a teacup and I'm drinking wine from it. Um, so it's not totally on point, but it is perfect in its own special way cheers so, cheers to all of you whiskey filled teacups out there heck yeah Ooh, good clink stellar clink i don't taste the molten blueberry i can taste all the berries it is pretty good yeah, who I can taste f- the cedar. You know who my favorite berry is? Hmm. Matt Berry. Matt Berry? He's in IT Crowd. Oh, yeah. Um, He is in What We Do in the Shadows, the series. Like and Berry. he's also in Toast of London. And he is amazing. Yeah. I fucking love that man. This is, this is really good, though. Um, It feels... It, it's like a familiar red blend. But it's got this kind of deep smoky undertone to it like you said the cedar and i i get that because it is really fruity but there's kind of that there's there's a depth to it it's like it's like a baked fruit pie a baked fruit pie you know like there's the heat behind it there's the the depth the you know the woody yeah bake feeling taste It's it's a pie it's a berry pie baked in a wood fired oven by Matt Berry. By Matt Berry. In nothing but a tiny apron. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Can I have Matt Berry tell me I'm whisking yeah, a teacup? <laughs> oh my God. I would actually, as the as Toast from Toast of London, that would be incredible. All right. Well, Kelly. Oh no, mm, wait. I'm, you're going oh, first. fuck. We're rearranging things. People are going to be like, oh, Emily's going first two weeks in a row. But there's which, a, there's which is a funny because I don't actually remember who went first last week. So we might still you. be on. Oh, I did. Yeah. Okay. I, I looked it up. Well, everyone, you're getting a double helping of Emily. Emily's coming. See, I think you'd want your heavier story to be first. No, because there's no coming there's, back okay. from it. Yeah, I appreciate so, that. I appreciate I have you a, not putting me in a spot where it's like there's nothing to make this better. Yeah, I, so, and I, you're right. My my story next week is heavy. It's heavy, but it's a, like the whole thing is a deviation from what we normally do, but it was kind of... Emily I'll explain. Out, Emily it. ran out of women. No, I'm kidding. I de- I literally ran out of women. We've covered them all. No, I'm kidding. Um, but I'll I'll explain it. But yeah, yeah stay tuned for next week. It's I think it's going to be a really good episode. Yeah. I'm really proud of the I think story. So too. I didn't read it, but I read the title and I was like, ooh. Yep. I know Emily will do it justice. As she I will. Always, fucking as she try. always does. So today I am whining about Queen Salamacina of Samoa. Say that ten times fast. Salamacina, Salamacina, Salamacina. It, it rolls. Up, it's it the does. S's. Like once you get going, it yeah. Just then like... it's like drop a beat. Salamacina, Salamacina, mm-ch, mm-ch, Salamacina. <laughs> <laughs> We're 
We're All just going right. to start making songs out of our women. Oh, yes. We're going to do a whole fucking rap. So, uh, special thanks to my ever, ever supportive dad, who mercifully has never listened to the podcast. Yay. And hopefully never will, because we started this episode. We're talking about winter is coming. And um, coming. And coming. And, and coming. coming. I love multiple O's for you, winter. I love that journey for you. It's so nice. Um, <laughs> sorry, I just thought of like someone's name is Winter because you know there are people oh, out there and like this is for you. Winter. This is for you. This is for all the Winters out there because you haven't heard this joke a trillion fucking times already. So he sent me a listicle of royal women for inspiration and included this gal. So oh, the scene. it was really funny because my dad, I think he found the article. And just, he, he just emailed it to me. He's like, I didn't read it, but maybe some inspiration for the podcast. <laughs> and like almost all of the women, it was like Marie Antoinette, Queen Victoria. I'm like, we cannot fucking cover these women. But this gal, I'd never heard of before. Yeah. So she, she fit the criteria. So today we are traveling to 1500 Samoa in the South Pacific Ocean. But first... To help us, a.k.a. me, understand the story, let's dive into some geography. Ooh. So, I, th- this story took me for fucking ever. Because whenever we cover a story that I don't have, like, a baseline understanding of the culture, the area, the time, you do a there's little so background much research. extra background you have to do just to understand the basics of the story. So, I'm going to take you on that journey with me. So, if you're, like, an expert on... Ancient Samoa. You can maybe skip ahead a little. Yeah. You know what? Good for you. Good for her. So uh, today, the independent state of Samoa is made up of several islands. The largest of the two are Savai'i and Upolu. Again, there is going to be a lot of like... Linguistic butchery. Yeah. This is... This is... I. I She's trying her best. I'm doing my best. Um, I was, I was joking about this wine... You know, like it's a run on sentence. Some of these words where it's like, or names, it's like, it's two lines. And I then Google's my, like, this is a run on sentence. Yeah. <laughs> Google's like, did you mean to put a space in here? I fucking didn't. So, um, uh, yeah, so you got, you got the largest two. But at the time of our story, uh, Samoa included the islands of present day American Samoa, including Tutuila. And the islands are broken up into districts or papas, which are ruled by different chiefs. Okay. So we've got like three main islands that we're working with. That are all ruled by their individual chiefs. Yeah. So okay. so I think there's like four four districts total, and that'll that'll come into play later. Um some of this I had to do some guessing on. Okay. And like some I had to make some inferences. So south of Samoa was is the Kingdom of Tonga, another island nation. Also, uh, Tui is the traditional title for tribal chiefs or rulers, so we'll be hearing that a lot. So if I say Tui, name, it's chief name. Okay. So Salamasina, who was presumably born at some point. <laughs> who she knows when? out of an egg. She was dropped from the sky by a great seabird. <laughs> She seemed to be destined for greatness. She was the latest descendant in a long line of nobility. Her mother, a noble of the neighboring kingdom of Tonga, Vaitofaga, was a teenager 
and she became the tenth and final wife of Tui Aana Tamalagil. Uh, sorry, Tamaalelagi. So it's like Tui Chief mm-hmm. Aana is the area that he rules, okay. and then and then his name Tamalelagi. Yeah is his name. So he was the sovereign chief of uh, the Papa Ana, so the district of Ana on Samoa's Upolu Island. So he is the he is the chief of one of the districts on, of an island. Of of an island of Samoa. Okay. So this was certainly a marriage and motivated he had 10 wives, the last of which was from Tonga. Correct, which okay. is in the neighboring was kingdom. It, and now is like an independent. Yep. Um, so this was certainly a marriage motivated by politics rather than love, which when you've got 10 wives, what the fuck else are you Accurate. marrying for? <laughs> Who's got the tame? So one of Taamalelagi's attendants, so the chief, one of the chief's attendants had actually traveled to the kingdom of Tonga to persuade Vaitofaga's family by spinning fantastical tales of what Samoa was like, being like, it's fucking lit, guys. It's the fucking, it's the it's shit. It's the best. It's the shit. And I'm like, how much did you actually have to lie? Because that place is fucking stunning. Yeah. <laughs> like, like everywhere around there is super gorgeous. But okay. So whatever lies the attendant told worked and he secured Vaitofaga as the chief's wife with an impressive dowry attached. And her brother was even given land in the easternmost district of Upolu Island. And this was the district or Papa of Atua. So I get the feeling that the marriage not only sealed this link between Samoa and Tonga. And it, it sounded like from some sources Tonga, like Tonga's been around forever. But it was really kind of starting to build power and coming okay. into its own more. And so Samoa oh, maybe was like a, maybe a protection. Ooh, yeah. Okay. So, um, so it sealed a link between the two nations. But also throwing a little love at Vaitofaga's brother may have also been a way of ensuring he wouldn't come after the Samoan throne. Right. Like, hey, you know, like, you have your own land here. We'll treat you kind of like family. Yeah. Please like, don't attack us. We'll just be we'll be super chill. You know. So. Vaitofaga became pregnant and gave birth to Salamasina, but she would not stay in Samoa. The chief's nine other wives behaved threatening, threateningly towards Vaitofaga once she became pregnant. And this is because the child would have the heritage of both Samoa and Tonga, making the child a viable candidate to succeed the chief. Because it didn't sound like it was necessarily like a birth order thing, but it's like, you can Who's you can inherit candidate? you can inherit titles you can inherit prestige you know yeah. she's she has all of this noble lineage from Tonga and now she also has all this noble lineage from Samoa yeah so she's like it's kind of like if you're chief then you can really unite the nations it's really funny that you say that because I'll come back later um so all the other wives were like they're looking out for their own kids. And they're like, no, I want my kid and themselves. Exactly. And so they were like really shitty to her. So Vaitofaga would eventually move to an estate on her brother's lands in uh, Papatua called the Refuge of Vaitofaga, which is like she's she's like went there to hide out because she's like all these other wives are bullying me and I'm pregnant and fuck fuck this shit. And I'm I was a teenager when I was married and I might still be a teenager. Yeah. Which like if you can bully a teenage girl. You're mean (laughs) because teenage girls do not 
fuck around. Yeah. So eventually, Vaya Tofaga would return to Tonga. And I hope she just had like a really good life. Um, so this may have been politically necessary or may have been the best option for her daughter, but Vaya Tofaga left her daughter, Salamasina, in the charge of the Atua District Chief's principal wife. So like the top wife, Suae, uh, who raised Salamasina as her own daughter. Okay, so now you have this child, Salamasina, who is the daughter of a different chief, a chief from a different papa, and a neighboring kingdom that is being raised as a daughter by a different chief's wife. Yes. And great. <laughs> this isn't going to get her, politically complicated. I mean, at honestly, all. her, her political power is only growing exactly. that's with what this I'm kind like, of, that's insane. Yeah. So I think like, I, I don't want to paint Vi Trafaga as like, Oh, she abandoned her daughter and fucked off. Like, honestly, it sounds like she, had, she put her in a good position politically that this was, this was a really good move politically. And also for her, for her daughter's safety and her own safety. So, uh, Suae saw the political potential in Salamacina with her Samoan Tonga heritage. And like you said, she has, you know, she can, she can have claim to her father's district title. She can have claim to Tonga, like heritage. Yep. And now she can also potentially have claim to Atua. Yeah. So like her mother before her. As a child, Salamasina was betrothed to another chief in order to form political alliances with the... Sorry, there's a crack in my phone right where this word hit. Um, Scroll up. Uh, Tonumaipea. So the Tonumaipea faction on the island of Savai. So it's still within the Samoa islands. Yes. But different island than the one she's on. Correct. Okay. Yep. So unlike her mother, though, Salamacina politely told everyone to go fuck themselves. <laughs> and she actually eloped with a man she was in love with, uh, with named Ale Pepe. Oh, I'm just going to call him Pepe. That's fine. He's he seems like a sweetie. Um, we don't get to know him long. So enraged by this, the Tone, Tonu Maipea's clan pursued Pepe. Was that the clan that she was currently being fostered under? Or the clan no. she was supposed to marry into. So she is she is living in Papatua. Mm-hmm. She's supposed to marry the the uh Chui of Tonumaipea. Mm-hmm. She elopes and the Tonumaipea clan is yeah, like okay. they're mad. Bitch. Uh, well, um, I like that they're not it doesn't seem like they're really mad at her. They're mad at him. Well, actually, that's kind of exactly how it happened because they didn't go after her. They pursued Pepe, finally capturing and killing him, but not before he and Salamacina had a daughter named Lupe Fofo Aivaoese. Oh, you're trying to call her Lupe, aren't you? Um, she doesn't come back that oh, much. Okay. So yeah, Lupe. She she is an important figure I in really, Samoan history later. I really like that name though. Like the full name. You know what? It's I, a mouthful, but it's pretty. I watched a video on her, on um, Sela Messina, because I was trying to fill in some of the blanks mm-hmm. where I was like, well, how does the line of succession work? How does, what was, what is this? And like, I, I was Googling maps of like present day Samoa, ancient Samoa, so, you know, and like. Yeah. Trying to figure shit out. There was so much fucking, I, they had drawings. <laughs> that it was making. I love you. Um, 
Like but family trees. When the words are pronounced correctly, it's gorgeous. a beautiful language. Yeah. So beautiful. Um, I just there's a lot of stops for me because I'm I'm not used to it and I haven't practiced as much. Like when I say it in my head, I'm like, I got it, but then when I actually have to say it, it's like, okay, stop, take a deep breath, and go. So if there's one thing to know about Salamasina is that she has not stayed down long. Um, so after Chief Tapu Manaya uh, had her husband killed, so the chief that she was betrothed to, Salamasina also had a child with him. So did she marry him? Yes. Okay. And this time it was definitely political. He I mean, was, it was political the first time. The, the, the first betrothal was political. Correct, too. correct. She and this time she actually married him. Yeah. Uh, you know, but she had she had a daughter with her love with the person she loved and her daughter would go on to be like inherit a lot of her titles and prestige and be a big deal. So there's not this like bastard child narrative going on. And then her son who was named after his father, Tapumanaya, he would also go on to be a really big deal, but this isn't their stories. So here's where the story personally got confusing for me. And this is just kind of me trying to work out how, yeah. you know, the line of succession works. So Salamacina is credited with being the first to hold all four Tafaya titles. So Tafaya means one supported by four. And this means that she held the highest titles of all four districts of Samoa. The part that confused me was exactly how, like, she came to these titles. Was it birthright, well, marriage, adoption? Sense. Yeah, because I could see how she could get those. Well, the fourth one, I'm like, she literally has, like, no connection to the fourth district. It literally, like, in a lot of articles, it was just, like, talking about up until the point I got. And then it's like, and she was the first, you know. Maybe it was just, like, they were, like, faita. sure, like, you're... Everyone else, like you have this, these claims to all these other thrones, will just also support you. Yeah. So I'm not entirely sure how mechanically that worked, but the point is, um, yeah. So I'm not, I'm not super sure how she inherited them. Um, but regardless of the intricacies of how the titles were earned, I can tell you the significance. Queen Salamacina was one of, if not the first, there's a, you know, some, some people are like, she was the first. And some people are like, she fucking wasn't. And I'm like, she's still a BFD, big fucking deal. She was the first Takfaifa uh, and effectively united Samoa because she had claims and connections and titles to all of the districts. Mm-hmm. So it's like they're chiefs of the individual ones. And she's kind of like above them, the gal. She's she's the fucking queen. So during her reign, her people enjoyed 60 years, 6-0, of peace and prosperity. There was no fucking war. Can you imagine going 60 years without war? In our lifetimes, we have not gone 10. I know. I was like... "Mm." Have we gone five? No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Between the Gulf War and Desert... er, the Gulf War and uh, OIF. And, yeah, yeah, like technically us being in, like there were wars going on, but technically America being in a war. Yeah. <laughs> we're talking about just war in general, then fuck mm-hmm. no. The, like the world has not gone probably more than like two oh, years Oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm specifically talking about the United States. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that is wild. 
this all this was also significant as uh, ancient Samoa was considered a patriarchal society. So the fact that a woman is ruling and doing such a damn fine job is another really is big notable fucking deal. Yeah. yeah. Salamacina ruled and would visit each of the districts once a year to maintain positive relations with their chiefs and other leaders. So again, this very uniting idea of like, okay, here's what the other districts are saying, you know, how can you help? And you know, just this, it seemed like she had this very collaborative nature. Well, and also like, unlike you see with a lot of like people that try to unite different nations, there's a lot of like, well, you, you're not chief anymore. Like Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm in charge versus she's like no you're still in charge of like your district and your people and let me tell you what's going on with like the rest of us yeah so she also worked to elevate the social standing of women because she had obviously suffered and her mother even under the lack of social standing autonomy that women had yeah and even she's still married to that to this chief and he's he's just he's always off fucking around i don't know what he's doing i don't care she actually liked that he was gone most of the time because she did not care for him yeah she's and, like you're off being a chief i'm over here being queen well i think he was also like fucking around a lot which i'm like Who cares well that's let him do whatever the fuck yeah i'm like it's 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 not your classroom it's not your kids don't worry about it um uh, so she elevated the social standing of women she encouraged native arts and she prohibited Forced marriages. Nice. Get it, girl. This is the 1500s. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if once she was not on the throne anymore, how quickly, if ever, that came back. I did not... I did not get I, into I know, history. But I was just cu- like, Post in my mind, I'm just kind of curious, <laughs> was, you know. Yeah. So she lived out the remainder of her life primarily in Lodofaga, uh, which is where her father was from. And she was buried next to her foster mother, Suae, who was like a real yeah. mother to her. And actually, I think, helped when she was queen, you know, was kind of like an advisor and yeah. doing all that cool shit. I'm surprised they weren't pissed when like they were like, oh, you're betrothed to this guy. And then she's like, yeah, fuck that. You know what? I like to think that she's like, oh, Salamacina, you scamp. Yeah. Just going off and marrying and having babies with whoever the fuck you want. All right, then. So, legacy. Other than a successful and peaceful rule, Salamacina is credited with helping to unite Samoa and is seen as a historic hero today. So a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, uh, Salamacina is my, you know, they like to trace their heritage back to her. Her children and grandchildren also became important leaders in their communities, inheriting prestigious titles uh, from Salamacina. So again, they all went on to be really big deals and influential people. And actually, a lot of royal lineage can be traced directly back to Salamacina. That's super cool. She's she's like the queen mother. Of Samoa. Yeah. So... I was really I was really looking for an expert's voice in this because there's a lot of stuff that I just kind of infer. It's like, well, it sounds like this is the way it worked. Um, so I found this really great quote from Wikipedia. So Penelope Schofel and Gavin Dawes point to Salamacina's significance as the ancestor of many powerful Samoan rulers. Quote, Salamacina's historical significance was that she was the means of drawing together all the great aristocratic bloodlines and links to supernatural power in a period of political transformation to create a basis of legitimacy for the new power brokers of Samoa. The orator group uh, Tumua of Ana and Atua. For the next four centuries or so, 
They were to manipulate the new dynasty she gave birth to through control of the paramount titles which they were empowered to bestow. End quote. Wow. So basically, Salamacina, she has had an enduring impact on Samoa and its history. Four centuries yeah. of politics can be traced back to this lady. That is so wild. May or may not have united a country, essentially. I mean, she basically did. Yeah, but they were using, there were some people that were saying she wasn't the first one to do it. And Well, it wasn't, I, there were some people that said she wasn't the first to hold all four district titles. Oh. Um, there may have been another woman who did. Um, I didn't, I didn't get into it. I was doing a lot of other homework <laughs> for, for this story. That is there. There is a lot, and I appreciate you doing a lot of that homework. I, I yeah, hope we it don't was... know a lot about Samoa. Oh, absolutely not. I was looking the shit up on maps. I was like, I was like, wait, there's Samoa, and then there's America. Samoa, what? <laughs> like, I was so, I'm so ignorant. Geography was not my, was not my bag. Was that your forte? It wasn't my forte. So thank you, Dad, for making me do my homework again. Just, just a long time later. God damn it. To. Yep. Hey guys, we know times have been tough lately for all of us. And during hard times, it can be difficult if you don't have anyone to talk to or it can be hard to talk about certain topics. Being alone with your thoughts can be isolating. This is why we are sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen to and help you. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Thank goodness. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to the help that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. That is Amazon fast. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential, just like with an in-person therapist. You can request a new therapist at any time at no additional charges. If you want to talk to someone about your mental health, you can get a 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash herstory. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash herstory. So, Kelly. Yes, my love. Who are you whining about, my darling? I am whining about Lillian Lindsay. Lillian Lindsay. Mm -hmm. I do love that. It's a pretty name. I like the L's. I, alliteration, Lillian Lindsay. I have to, yeah, no, alliteration, when someone names their child and it sounds like a song. Yeah, that's not her born name. Oh. Well, did she, did she name herself then? Is that like her? No, she gets married. Oh, okay. She gets married later. Well, strategic marriage for the win. Right? <laughs> so she was born Lillian Murray. I still like the name Lillian. I do. It's a very pretty name. In Holloway, London in 1871, she was the daughter of a musician and the third of 11 children. Fucking ouch. You know, 1871, there's not a lot of birth control, not a lot else to do for women to do except for have babies. I Okay, here, here's, here's my thing. I feel like there's a weird paradox with old school birthing. Yeah. Yes, there was like no access to birth control. So of course you're gonna have a lot of kids, but also 
maternal mortality rates were abysmal. So the fact that this woman lived through 11 fucking births is truly miraculous. It makes me, I don't know why the image that pops into my head is um, Monty Python. I think it's in the life of Brian. Oh, is it the the Catholics? Yep. Yeah. She's just like standing there and the baby just like falls out. That's all I could think of. Oh my God. I used to, I used to work for a family um, and mom was pregnant with her fifth kid and she, I, she had a friend who she was very close to, and I don't know if there was a fertility issue or yeah. what, but instead of the father being in on the birth, the friend was, cause the father's like, I've done this four other fucking times. Like, I don't I'm, care. I'm, I'm over it. I get it. Like I'll be there if you want me to be there, but I don't need to be and there. And she, she, the way she described it, she's like, I literally even know what happened until they gave me the baby. I was like, Oh, Oh, is this done? Are we done here? Yeah. <laughs> she, she was just so like, I don't fucking care. And her, yeah. She was a pro. Yeah. By five, by the fifth kid. Yeah. yeah she's sense. like, this is old hat. Nice. So anyways, Lillian was educated at the Camden School for Girls and won a scholarship to go to the North London Collegiate School. Ooh. Yes. Education for women. Hoity toity. Ooh. Yes. So the, fr- the headmistress at the North London Collegiate School at the time was Frances Buss. And Frances Buss informed Lillian that she would be perfectly suited for a career in teaching deaf children. Lillian, what a specific I know. career <laughs> assignment. Lillian was like, um, no, <laughs> that's not what I want to do. <laughs> that's like going up to someone and not being like, you do really well in the medical field. They're like, you should specifically just, it, yeah. you should just put in cochlear implants. Yeah. Like that is your whole thing. So there's actually like a quote. I'm going to edit it a little because I don't like the former term for deaf people because mm. this is obviously in the 1800s. And so they say that that and I, I know we usually follow direct quotes, but that's one like I, I literally just cannot like even when I read it, I was like, yeah, no, I don't like it. So this is a direct quote from Lillian quote, Miss Bus had sent for me and announced that I was destined to be a teacher of the deaf. Whether the sudden attack roused my rebellious spirit or I may have had an allergy to teaching, I do not know, but I refused to teach. This enraged Miss Bush, who stated emphatically, then I will prevent you from doing anything else. Like a flash, I replied, you cannot prevent me from being a dentist. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) She prevented me from having a second scholarship and I knew nothing about dentistry, but having stated boldly that I would be a dentist, there was nothing else to be done. This fucking bitch. She's like, like, I don't know why I picked dentists, but now I got to follow through on it. Oh my God. (laughs) Also. That sounds like something I would do. Just like, I'm going to be a fucking dentist. Like, fuck. It's like, oh, crap. It, it, it's like you know, you post something on Facebook, like, I'm going to do this. And you're like, crap, I'm no, accountable. I have to do it, yeah. Spite is a great motivator. And so, yeah, Miss Bus did try to block Lillian from doing other things. Um, she lost a scholarship and would end up leaving the school in 1889 to pursue dentistry. What a weird fucking hill to die on. This <laughs> one girl needs to teach the deaf. And if she dares to do anything else, I will ruin her life. And then the comeback is just like, I'm going to be a dentist. I don't want to be a teacher. I want to be a dentist. <laughs> <laughs> but mommy, oh. I want to be a dentist. Well, especially since like, 
it, the argument reminds me of something like something for like a little kid, but this is a collegiate school, so she's in her teens. Like that's it's like just funny. It's like Emily, you have to school, go to school. No, I I'm just gonna I'm gonna run away forever, and then you're gonna be really sad when I'm gone. I'm gonna go yeah. live in the cornfields. Yeah, and then I have to fucking do it. I just like that even at the end of the quote, <laughs> she was like, I I didn't know anything about dentistry, but since I said I was gonna do it, I had to do she it. She totally owns up that she's like my. My pearly whites ch- wrote a check that they I, would definitely have to cash because I wasn't going back on my word. Right. I need to go back to Miss Bus and like treat her cavities with no Novocaine, no laughing gas. And exactly. I need to Just I need to drill in there. I see to like look her in the eyes and be like, I'm a fucking dentist, bitch. <laughs> Who so, else who else pursued their career out of spite? Right. <laughs> like I'd love to hear those stories. Um Bessie Coleman kind of did. Oh my god, she did. Like not not purely out of spite. She like she genuinely enjoyed flying, but it was kind of out of spite. Because her brother was like, "There's no like, fucking yeah, way you can ever exactly. do this," and she's the and she's hell like, you say me. exactly. Um, I hope I, I hope before every time she took off, she was like, "Suck it, bro." Exactly. That's what I would have done. <laughs> um. So just to give a little like background in the 1890s. There were no certified female dentists in Britain. Were there dentists, period? Yes. The profession of dentistry was considered unladylike, and women were seen as physically unsuited to be dentists. Like every other career option at the time. Yeah. But. God, I'm sorry. Women can push out 11 children, but they can't poke around your teeth. Tell me where the logic is. We can bleed for seven days straight on a monthly basis, but we're too weak to be doctors or to be dentists or to drive cars or you to know, be in we sports. We just don't have the constitution to deal with all the men's halitosis of the time. I mean, honestly, that would be pretty yeah. rank. So Lindsay was able to secure a three-year apprenticeship in dentistry through a family friend, but did not want to take that path because she's like, that's not enough. Like just an apprenticeship. What, you're probably going to end up being, like, an assistant? Like, she's like, I don't think that's going to get me to being an actual dentist. Right. I want to go to dental school. They had dental schools? Yeah. I'm shocked. (laughs) Shooketh. I I I be shooketh. shooketh. (laughs) Um, So she would pass the preliminary examinations in London. And in 1892, she would apply for entry into the National Dental Hospital in Great Portland Street. The dean at the time was Henry Weiss, and he refused to admit her because she was a woman. How many times have we heard that sentence on this podcast? We need like a whining about herstory bingo card. We do. Except it's like a shot card. Every time we say one of these phrases, you have to take a shot. And if you don't black out by the end of the episode, you get a prize. Okay. Honestly, can we do that for our three-year anniversary coming up? We're at like four, maybe five years. Actually, we're at five because last year was at four and we said three and then I had to remind you we were at four. Why can I never figure out how long we've been doing this? It's because we did the pot. We started the podcast before the pandemic and then the the pandemic through the pandemic and I lost like a whole year and a half. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. We're at five. We'll have to figure that out. If it's five, we need to like. That's okay. Um, Everyone will tell you I never know what day or time it is to the point where I I booked tickets for a museum on the wrong date twice before I got it right the third time. Maybe and I had, had to someone else book those. I tickets. had to no, because I was trying to be a helpful grown up. <laughs> but I like had to call and I'm like, 
Hey, um, <laughs> can you I help me? It's okay. I scheduled a uh, vet appointment for the wrong dog. <laughs> and then yeah, I called them and I was like, so I scheduled it for this dog. It's supposed to be for that dog. Can but we can just also bring the out? other one in? Can we do swapsies, please? Yeah, they were super cool. They're all pugs. Don't worry about yeah. it. It's relatively the same. They're interchangeable. So yeah, Henry refused to admit her because she was a woman. And he was so concerned that she would distract the male students that when he interviewed her, because he did interview her, he interviewed her outside of the school on the sidewalk. Too hot to dock. <laughs> Take you a second. You did. The fucking look on your I face. Like, what? Oh, I could not tell if brain. you were going to hit me or laugh. <laughs> I had to, I thought about both. Um, <laughs> both. But it, like, it both makes me good. think of... Um, I can't remember. We covered like someone that wanted to be a nurse and they were like, you're too attractive to be a nurse. There have been too fucking many women who have allegedly been too hot to career. What I, what I do like though, is he, he kind of like gave her some advice after the interview. Like he's like, I'm not going to accept you here. And he's like the dental hospital in London um, which is part of the Royal College of Surgeons in England's don't even allow women to sit for their examinations. So you should, might as well not apply there. He, however, was like, hey, you can apply. I'm going to say it wrong. <laughs> to the Edinburgh School of Medicine. Uh, the dental hospital. Ed- dental Ed- Ed- hospital. Edinburgh Dental Hospital and School. And he, so he's like, hey, like, don't even bother applying for this school because they won't even allow you to take their examinations. Yep. But hey, here's this other school that may actually accept you. That maybe doesn't have a dick like me running exactly. it. Like he literally had the power to admit her and he's like, I'm not going like, to do you're that. you're going to distract our students. But I could pawn you off on someone else and pretend I'm a good guy. Yeah. Also, the whole idea of like, women being too attractive or too distracting for, for men so to mad. handle. I'm like- I that's that's a them problem. Well, here's the thing. How are men not supremely insulted by that? That's you my are thing so too. fucking stupid. You are so fucking medieval. Yeah, you're you so have, primal. You can't control yourself. You can't like focus because there's a you saw a shoulder and ankle. And here's the thing, like the whole like what is considered distracting, quote unquote, has changed over the course of history. So don't yeah. tell me that like, well, no, 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 this shoulders are the problem or ankles are the problem or too short of skirts are the problem. I'm like, if you can't fucking control yourself, that's something you need to work on, friend, because that is a problem. Yeah, it is. It's one of those like, I'm sorry, we can't ke- can teach the boys or the men to control themselves around our women. Right. Like, yeah, I'm like, insulted. How is that not insulting? I'm insulted when people say women are too emotional yeah. or too hysterical to do something. Why are men not supremely disgusted when they are told that they are too horny? Yeah. To, to folk, to because do something? Because the men are never told that. It's only the women that are like, well, you're too distracting. They don't For go to the, the boys. Exactly. exactly. So... She did. She did go to the the Edinburgh Dental Hospital and School, and she was accepted by the dean there, which was W. Bowman McLeod. McLeod? Yeah. Maybe McLeod? M-A-C-L-E-O-D. Yeah, it might be McLeod. McLeod. Dr. McLeod. McLeod. So she was admitted as the first female student at the Edinburgh Dental Hospital and School 
And not everyone was happy about it. Of course they weren't. I, I think it was episode two. I covered the Edinburgh Seven. Yep. And that's what I'm thinking of right yep. now. Okay. All right. I'm not going mean, to spoil it. I mean, it doesn't get that bad. No, it doesn't get that, that bad. That was bad. But like... Yeah, people aren't happy. So um, a man named Henry Littlejohn, which I'm like, oh, is that a descriptor of something? <laughs> but he says, quote, do you realize you will be taking the bread out of out of the mouth of some poor fellow? Like he's basically like, you're taking our jobs. They took our jobs. Yeah. So okay, he, he was regarded as a public health trope, expert. Though. Exactly. We we have heard that so often. Uh, what was it? Francis? Uh, crap. She was the one who kept that drug that was ha- was having um, causing issues for fetuses in your utero. She was like one of the first women, if not the first, to work for the FDA. Francis yeah. something. Anyway, people literally told her. You're taking the job from a man who really needs it. Like to like it's her Fuck responsibility. Off. And it's like, hey, if a man doesn't want me to take his job, then he just needs he to be better. better. Than me. Exactly. He should be better than me. Because people who groups of people who have been historically discriminated against to get ahead, they don't just have to be just as good as their peers. Yeah. They have to be miles ahead. Right. And so it's like if you miles want to beat me, do better. Yeah. Sorry, this dog looks very, very sad right now. Oh, like, just lay down. Yeah, Zana, Zana's a little candy cane slut today. She's in her assless jammies because she is in heat. I, well, first of all, I think like all dog jammies are assless. Yeah, but she has legs. <laughs> like they gave her the long legs. I know, it kept the diaper but on. But the assless part, <laughs> I'm like, why? Why? What I love is there is like a little fake butt flap, but yes. it's on the back. <laughs> I know. But it's, well, I'll take a picture. I'll post it to our social media, but it's, it's, she's adorable, but she's, she keeps laying down and then like sitting up and then just looking depressed that she can't lay down. Yeah. She's, she's a very complicated person. She's, very tired. she's okay. a teenage girl. She's got a lot of feelings. Yes. So at Edinburgh, Lindsay struggled to pay for food and lodging, She, but she was determined and she was young and she was very, so it was funny because I was reading a lot of the articles and they were like, she was very inspired by her work. I'm like, was she inspired by her work or was she inspired by Miss Buss and being like, I'm going to be a dentist. Every time she's like, I'm too tired to study. She saw Miss Buss's fucking She's like, face. never mind. She's like... I'm going to fucking put crowns on all those teeth, bitch. Yeah. So later she would write in her autobiography, quote, there was only enough money and barely enough to get me through my classes and examinations. And I must not fail. You know what? Everyone's motivated by something different. And I think she's found a really constructive use of spite. Yeah. I'm I love this for her. So she would meet the man who would become her future husband, Robert Lindsay, who was a member of the teaching staff on her first day at dental school. Don't worry, they wouldn't get married until like later. Until it was like appropriate. appropriate. Yeah. And I mean, like I couldn't find any records of like them being inappropriate during her schooling, probably because she was like, no, I need to get through this. We can we can do something after, but I'm not even going to risk getting kicked out. I don't have time for your dick. I only got Miss Buss on the mind. I I, I got to fuck Miss Buss's shit up and then yeah. and then we can talk. Then we can have coffee. Yeah. So she excelled at her time in Edinburgh and she would actually win the Wilson Medal for Dental Surgery and Pathology and the medical and the medal for Materia Medica and Therapeutics. And a hundred little Johns shriveled up and exactly. died. 
So she's like <laughs> rocking it. And she would graduate with honors in 1985, 1895. The first woman to qualify as a dentist in the United Kingdom. Damn. So there's a, like a tiny caveat. So there, there are other United Kingdom women that got dentistry license, but they all went abroad to America and other countries to gain their qualifications. She yes. is the first person to gain her qualifications in the United Kingdom. Yeah. And we, we've covered women like that, especially in the aviation field. Like Bessie Coleman went to France. 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 A lot of people go to France. Like a lot of the entertainers we covered went to France. You know what? I, um, I, I don't, I don't have a lot of context for France, but in a lot of our stories, it turns out to be this refuge for people who have been historically discriminated in the United States. And I'm like, I don't want to go to France. France? I know, right? Like her? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so she would subsequently go on to join the British Dental Association and become the first woman member. Good for her. So after. And Miss Bus died. She, I hope she sent a news clipping of that. And I then hope just, she sent like multiple, like the both medals she won, yeah. her graduating with honors, and her her qualifying to be a dentist, and her like bitch, I like bitch, look at this, I'm the first woman member, <laughs> like and then all of them. Each one was accompanied with a black and white photograph of her flipping the bird, <laughs> yes. and you know she had to stand for that photo for twenty goddamn minutes, and she did it every time. And then the last one just says, "Bitch, I'm a dentist." <laughs> Oh, my God. So after qualifying for everything, Lillian would return to North London to work until 1905 because she had a lot of, like, debts from school and stuff like that. Thank God that doesn't happen anymore. Right? (laughs) Wait. (laughs) Thank Um, God students aren't crippled by debt. (laughs) Right. And so in 1905, when she finally paid off her debts, she would would move back to Edinburgh and marry Robert Lindsay. And they would practice together at 2 Brandon Street. Aww. So cute. They would continue to practice together until 1920 when Robert was appointed the first full-time dental secretary of the British Dental Association, where they would move to a flat above the British Dental Association headquarters in London, um, just because they needed him to be there. And she would become the honorary librarian for them. She would also continue to work. I bet their flat always smelled like bubblegum toothpaste. Probably. Or peppermint. Ooh, it's a, it's like minty gum. Yeah. Delicious. So not only did she become the honorary librarian, she founded the library with books that were bequeathed to her by different um, people that she knew. And she contributed her own artifacts and books to, the, to start a museum as well. She would go on to learn French, German, Latin, and some old English as well as Spanish to help with her historical research that she was doing. Fuck, I've been doing Duolingo for a year with Spanish, and mi español es muy terrible. So (laughs) she's learning like 20 languages. So 10 years later, sadly, her husband would die. Um, It sounded like, you know, just from one of the many diseases going around at the time. It's just one of those things. It was very fashionable for husbands to die at the time. The good ones. The bad ones lived forever. Right? Following this, she would become sub-editor of the British Dental Journal, um, which she would hold for 20 years. Um, Jesus. She she would be the editor for 20 years and continue on on a committee after after that for a total of like 57 years. Yeah, it was insane. Oh, my God. Um, She would also be publishing works during this time. and she would publish a book on the history of dentistry called A Short History of Dentistry. 
I love when the title is very succinct. Yeah, I yeah. When it's succinct or when it's basically the executive summary. Right. In the same year, she started delivering lectures at the Royal Society of Medicine and would later become the president of the odontological section. Odontological. And history of the Medicine Society um, of the Royal Society of Medicine. She was also president of the British Society of the Study of Orthodontics. And then she would also become the first female president of the British Dental Association. So she's just like gaining presidency in all of these different places. Her LinkedIn is incredibly intimidating. Yep. So she became the first female president and then she was awarded an honorary doctorate by the University of Edinburgh. She also published her translation of Pierre Fauchard's Les Chirurgiens Dentiste, or The Surgeon Dentist. This is the first time that landmark work had been translated into English. And she, she translated yep. it so she's because like, she knows every she's language. She's like doing all this shit. She's becoming all the presidents of these different societies. And on the side, she's like, I'm just going to tr- like translate this French book into English. Okay. I have a full-time job, three animals, a podcast. relationship, and a podcast. <laughs> and that's entirely too much for exactly. me. Exactly. She would continue to expand the library that she created until her death and receive a number of awards and honorary degrees all during this time. So a lot of them we've already like talked about um, being the president of various associations and stuff like that. Um, you know, what I was just thinking, yes, you know, that guy that wouldn't admit her to his university is going on and be like, yeah. I totally told her to apply at Edinburgh. Like he's, you know, oh he's, yeah, you yeah, you know, he's strutting he's around like taking in, credit. Like, where he's yeah. like, well, actually, her success is my success. I'm like, you could have fucking admitted her, you prick. Yeah, exactly. Um, also, whenever a grown man is like, male students will be distracted by a female student. I'm like. How are you feeling right now? Because that's saying a lot more about you than it is anyone else, you super creep. Yeah. Super creep, super creep. He's super creepy. We should do that. We could probably write a full song on that. I'm working on it right now in my brain hole. In your brain hole? In my brain hole. All the wrinkles are pulsating and vibrating and squishing together. Yeah. So in 1946, she was named Commander of the British Empire, which was an honor that is one rank below knighthood. Oh, my fucking God. So on top of, like, everything else, uh, she got that, too. Um, She would pass away at the age of 89 on January 31st in 1960. By that time, she had already sat down and wrote wrote an autobiography. Um, And she had developed a a new perspective on her confrontation with Miss Buss. She, she had wrote in her autobiography, quote, perhaps owing to a feeling of resentment, which changed later. Um, there are natures that there are natures which need opposition and obstacles to effective purpose. She said her, her sentiments over time had softened to a feeling of gratitude and an acknowledgement that Miss Bus was, after all, the divinity that shapes our ends. I mean, she's not I, I think that's very mature of her to acknowledge that. That confrontation, that resentment, yeah, kind of launched her entire incredible career. Yeah, and I like that she's in a position now where she's like, 
I can I can look back and be thankful for it. That yep. doesn't make Miss Bus's behavior no, okay. No. But I like that she's I, I can see I can look back and find value in that interaction instead of feeling exactly. victimized. Yep. So le- legacy. By the time of her death, the library that she had accumulated for the British Dental Association was considered one of the best dental libraries in the world. It is still named the Robert and Lillian Lindsay Library. And there is also um, a place called the Lindsay Society for the History of Dentistry that was formed and named after her. Which is cute. I love that. There is one of those like English heritage plaques on the building where she lived at 3 Hungerford Road in Holloway, um, London, where she lived for the, the where she was born, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was added in 2013 because that was the address where she first decided to become um, a dentist. She she came home steaming after an encounter with Miss Bus and her mm-hmm. mom's like, what's wrong? Well, she's birthing child number 10. Yeah. And because she's like, I can do both now. And she's like, well, Miss Bus told me I have to teach deaf kids. And I, I want to be a dentist. And mom was just like. Then be a dentist. Super whatever. fucking cool. I'm, I'm giving birth to my 20 billionth child. I don't really have the energy for you. <laughs> so an article after her death in the British Dental Journal wrote and described her as, quote, a forceful yet retiring, caring, focused, modest, humorous, and engaging personality. They also love adjectives. This year, the New York Times published a belated obituary for Lillian Lindsay as part of its Overlooked series. Jeez, this year. I They have so many people to get through, to be honest. I did use that in part of my research. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's kind of like... Um, they do a know, lot of good research at the it's New like, York are you Times. Guys, are you ever going to run out of women? We'll run out of women when the New York Times runs out of Overlooked articles to write. Right. And they require a lot more information than we do for our episodes. So So Lindsay has opened the door for women dentists. And although change came slowly today, more than half of the dentists in Britain are women. And according to the general dental, or according to the general dental counselor that like regulates the profession there. So like when she started, there were no women in the profession. Correct. And she really opened the doors to the point where now today, which I mean, granted is almost a hundred years later. Less than, but, you know, about um, half the women, like, which is where it should be, which is as far as like the the assumed gender sex population goes. Yeah, makes That's sense. Exactly. And like, I just how cool. Like, Doctors if she don't could, have that. If she could look down, like, how proud do you think she would be? That's like, yeah, look at that equal fucking representation. You know what? It really amazes me that she lived into the 1960s because she was 82. That really wasn't that long. I thought you said 89. 89, sorry. She's My old as shit. She was um, old. She's super old um, and thriving. Yeah, 89. Um, 89 years young. But she got to see so many advancements in women's rights. This woman lived to see, and I, I know that she is English, but she lived to see the 19th Amendment passed. She lived to see two world wars. Yeah. She lived to see like par- at least some of the civil rights movement. And like she ju- just missed 
almost got under the wire for for second wave feminism, but she saw so many gains. And the fact that she was a part of that, particularly in the dental industry, is so wonderful. And every single person, whether you're in dentistry or not, we are all reaping the gains of her work today. I had to look up like when women in the United Kingdom got the, the right to vote. I think it was before us. 1928. After us. Okay, what? well, here's the thing. So it started in 1918 and it said the, the parliament qualification of women, it was passed allowing women to be elected to parliament. But in 1928, oh, women yeah. in England, Wales, and Scotland received the vote on the same terms as men. Over That's the right. Age of 21. I think we've talked about this. It's been a while since we've covered a suffragette, so... Well, so particularly a British suffragette. Because well, it was like, you were talking about the 19th Amendment and stuff. Yeah. And so I was like, I wonder when like that happened. So she, I mean, she still got to see it. Yeah. Well, actually, so suffragette is specifically British suffragists mm-hmm. because it was considered a derogatory term that the members of the, of the cause took back. Kind of like, nevertheless, she persisted. Yeah. Um, or slut or bitch or nasty woman. There's so many mm-hmm. to choose from. Cunt. Love it. Um, and so suffragette specifically was the UK and it has the connotations of being a little more militaristic because yeah, they were blowing they were up a little post bit more. Yeah. They did not fuck around. So that's why I'm surprised they didn't get it sooner than us. They might have started later. I don't, I, I don't, yeah. I'll have to cover one of the, like a suffragette again. Well, and I know, I know in both the United States and the UK, there was a pause for world, there, there was like an intermission to allow for World War One, where everyone was like, hey, okay, like we really want the right to vote and that's not an issue that we're backing but down like, on. we need to deal with this first. But there is a global war that will never happen again. So they thought. The Great War. I, um. The war to end all wars. <laughs> not likely. If only. Um, I just, I started, uh, Gerda Weissman's memoir finally, like mm. ages after I covered her for the podcast and if you don't remember Holocaust survivor memoir and her father, like when war is approaching, he's like, there's no way that's going to happen again. Like he literally says like, there's no way that kind of thing is going to happen again. And then it does. And it is just, can you imagine being a parent? Like she, she describes her parents strength throughout, through the whole thing. Yeah. And unfortunately they, they don't survive. Um, but like, to have witnessed World War One, to be victimized for being Jewish, and like to see this happening again, and just like every day, you're like, okay, the end of this year, like by the end of the year, they're definitely gonna push the Germans back. Like it's gonna be fine, and it's just not, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. And you are just trying to be strong for your kids while freaking the fuck out. Because I don't care how old you are. You're never going to be too old to be fucking horrified by the, those prospects. Right. It's it. It's really good. Uh, All But My Life by Gerda Weissman. I highly recommend it. It's, I mean, it. it's heavy. It's so good. But obviously it's it's a lot. Yeah. So be, be in a place. Be prepared. Yeah. But it, it kind of feels like. Um, it feels like something that you have to bear witness to because that is her memoir is that she is bearing witness for all of the people who didn't survive and couldn't tell the story. So yeah. she's, she's not only telling her story, she's telling the story of all of these other people in her family and her community and her life. And it's, it's so heartbreaking that none of them were able to 
You, you know, there, there are all these parts in the book where it's like, and I never saw them again. And you know, their story kept going, yeah. but you don't know how it went or exactly how it ended, you know? Yeah. So she's, she's trying to do justice to these people whose lives mattered. How do we get Nazis into every fucking episode? How do we do this? I don't know. Ugh. We're special. Kelly, what are you thankful for? Um, not having to deal with Nazis. I'm Well, <laughs> tomorrow's our, a new day. Of our podcast. God damn it. I mean, they're still out there. They're still fucking around. Hmm, what am I thankful for? I already talked about being thankful for my vacation. I'm thankful... I don't know what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for a lot of things. Thankful for your magnets. Yeah, I'm thankful f- to have a friend that when they travel places, they think of me and buy me things. Especially when I go to spooky bitch places. Yeah, because she knows I'm a spooky bitch. Uh, you fucking are, 100%. That's that's why I didn't get you anything from anywhere else, because that was I'm like, those are the spooky bitch places I went. Yeah. What are um, you thankful for? I am... I am thankful that I am in a position in my my life, my career, my whatever, where I can help my friends. So like my my friend needed some some transportation help with her with her daughter. And I'm like, I can totally do that. Like I I, I can help. Like if you need right, it. Like I may I, need to I rearrange got, a few things, but I've got I you. can help. Yeah. And she's like, oh, well, I don't want to put you out, you know, kind of the hemming and hawing. And I'm just going to say to anyone who's listening, if your friend is offering help. Take it. Just just take it. Because like, honestly, the worst part is like trying to convince them here's that my you're thing, okay like, with helping. I am fine with you being like, are you sure? I am yeah. fine with you asking that question. But the more you push back, the more frustrated I'm going to get at you. Because yeah. I am will if I would not offer... If I did not mean it. 100%. Like, yes, there are people in the world that do. But if it's your friend, trust that they're being honest with you. Exactly. And I'm just, I'm thankful that I'm in a position where I I can help, that I can step up and, you know, be be an additional resource, be an additional support. So, because, I mean, I'm, I keep thinking about, like, other jobs I've had where it's like, oh, there's no way my boss would, like... Right. allow for that or like I don't have the time of day to be able to do it or yes. whatever yeah yeah so I'm I, I I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to to fit helping others helping people who are important in my life into my life yeah you know because a lot of in a lot of situations someone can be super important to you but the practicality of life just will not allow that room to be made. And that that's really awful. But yeah, yeah no, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful. Oh, well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of whining about history. Like us on Facebook at whining about history, Instagram at W A H pod. You know, spooky season's over, right? I don't know what that was. <laughs> Our website is whiningabouthistory.com where you can find the links to all of our merch, the links to all the places you can listen to us. The links to our Patreon where you can donate for as little as $1 a month or you can donate $5 one time and buy us a bottle of wine. 
And we'll try to match it to your name or your nationality or something else that's important to you. Or you give us suggestions. Yeah. We're getting a total wine soon. Yeah, we're super actually really Our excited. worlds are cracking open. We essentially can pick wine from space now. Yeah. Like, it's, I mean, we have an okay wine selection down here, but like total wine is a completely other level and they sell um that that Halloween wine we really like. So yes. I'm really excited. I'm like, I they hope they're are, here for Halloween. They are the Target of wine stores. Oh yeah. They're and they usually have like really good tastings and stuff. So yeah, you'll probably hear me and Emily talk a lot about total wine. <laughs> I'm deeply excited. I am quivering with excitement you put a pillow on your slutty dog she was just like face <laughs> like she's sitting up but she was like face down on the pillow she is just like determined to be a pill yeah she's like i refuse to lay down but yeah. my head will be on the pillow she's i need to take a picture of this because it's kind of funny you know what though um the spite is fueling her and i think she's taking the correct lessons from today's episode I normally don't advocate for children listening to this podcast, but this is one of the cases. Let your fur babies listen because they will become stronger for it. Yep. Yep. I actually, oh my God, I had a, I had a coworker. Um, you know what? Never mind. I'm not going to tell the story now. I'll tell it next week because we'll need it. Okay. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to another episode about Whitey About Herstory. Uh, raise five stars wherever you listen. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And I have an empowered day, y'all. Bye. And support your local femme dentists.